Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis, aka crumbly joints. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you have come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This week, we have the privilege of discussing, can my pharmacist help? So many people with joint pain make their initial presentation to a healthcare professional to their local pharmacy or chemist. Many people with osteoarthritis are taking other medications along with medication for their pain, and it's important that they do so safely. Your pharmacist can play an important role in screening for disease, triage to appropriate healthcare services, advice around safety of medication use, and educating patients about what safe and effective treatment options might be available for a person with joint pain. So the purpose of this episode of Joint Action is to unpack this topic. We're joined by none other than Peter Carroll. And Peter's a professor and head of pharmacology in the School of Medicine, University of Notre Dame, Sydney, and an honorary professor in the discipline of pharmacology at the Sydney Medical School at University of Sydney and Northern Clinical School, Royal North Shore Hospital. He's also the president of the New South Wales branch of the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia. He works in a community pharmacy and teaches clinical pharmacology to medical, nursing, and pharmacy students. He was the chairperson of the editorial board of the Australian Journal of Pharmacy, a former dean and president of the Australian College of Pharmacy Practice, and a former chairperson of the Pharmaceutical Society of New South Wales. He's a fellow of the College of Pharmacy Practice, a recipient of the University of Sydney Pharmacy Practice Foundation Medal of Excellence for Pharmacy Practice. He's worked in a hospital pharmacy. He's held both medical and marketing positions within the pharmaceutical industry. And it's a great pleasure to have him here along today to talk about whether a pharmacist can help. So Peter, welcome to the show. 
Oh, hi, David. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Great, great to have you along. It's been a long, long time between drinks, but hopefully not too much longer. I'm looking forward to it, David. <laughs> now, before, before we get into the content of the show, do you have any conflicts of interest that we should be aware of for our listeners? No, not to my knowledge. Superb. Now, in an effort to try to get the listeners to know you a little bit better, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? Um, I'm a healthcare professional. I'm a teacher. And hopefully I'm a good mentor to my students. Well, I, I've heard wonderful remarks from your students, and I know you're a fantastic person, so I'm sure it's all very, very true. Oh, thank you. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do in your professional capacity? Well, I'm a healthcare professional, but I spend a lot of my time teaching uh, the students. I teach medical pharmacy and nursing students, primarily clinical pharmacology or the quality use of medicines. I also like to discuss with the students not only the, 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 the medicines and the appropriate use of them, but as healthcare professionals, I like to instill in them uh, the concept that they have a social consciousness and that they, as they go through their career, they look out for those in our society who may be disadvantaged and vulnerable and I encourage them to be their champion, be their voice, and to stand up for them. So I think not only is it my job to teach the, the facts and the drugs, but I do like to instill a social consciousness in the students and hopefully I get them to think about that. That's something that's uh, sorely needed and something that I love about you. And uh, obviously, you've tried to indoctrinate me with your philosophy. I'm not sure how well you're succeeding in that, but uh, many more conversations to happen on that. I, I think over a few more beers, I might get you there. <laughs> now, when you're not doing your day job, what do you like to do? I like to visit our kids and the grandkids. I like to um, socialize with them and, and have the odd beer or two. I do go for walks, I go to the gym, I like to play tennis, I like to stay active and I like to things that, you know, where, where you're moving a lot and you're active. But I also like, love to go to the local six pack of beer and a bottle of wine with my partner Prue and go up to the local Chinese, Indian or Japanese restaurants um, locally to support the local businesses. And I've got to say, I also have been known to go to the local pub and the club and have a few beers with my mates. It all sounds wonderful. We could probably expand on the ditty at some other point, but we're not going to do that now. Now, getting into the meat of what we're here to talk about today, a person oftentimes with the first presentation with joint pain will go along to their local chemist or pharmacy uh, with that complaint of joint pain, looking for something on the shelves that might help to alleviate that. And within that context, when a patient first presents with their joint pain, what roles can a pharmacist provide in that regard? Oh, I think a pharmacist can provide a lot of good advice. Um, as you said, pharmacists are frontline healthcare professionals. You said that in your introduction, I think. And they're often the first port of call. 
and they serve as a triage. They, they have competency and they are happy to treat where appropriate or they are happy to refer or recommend other uh, healthcare professionals such as the GP. Now, I mean, I, I know we're on about osteoarthritis, but joint pain and the pharmacist or joint injury, I mean, the pharmacist spends a lot of time seeing things like uh, twisted ankles, a sore knee from, you know, too much golf or, or play, you know, football or netball or something. And, and they're quite competent to treat that pain. It's a short-term injury. They, they talk in terms of compression, elevation, ice, et cetera. They can give the appropriate analgesic. And it's generally a short-term situation. So in that scenario, pharmacists probably can handle it. And, and they do a very good job in, in doing that. You know, they recommend if it doesn't get better, what I've said, come back and we can refer you on. Uh, so we've got that acute situation. People can also come first time and they are complaining about, you know, pain and stiffness in their knee or pain in their hips, etc. And the pharmacist will probably suspect that this is something like osteoarthritis, but it may be something else. And I think most pharmacists would see that they would refer that person on to their GP just for further assessment, uh, particularly if it's been ongoing for some little time. Um, they may offer an analgesic uh, to help with the symptoms, which is quite appropriate, but uh, the referral would be there to, I think, the GP. We can talk about later if you would like, but they're the initial thing. Brilliant. And so I, I think we will get back to medication advice a little bit later on, but they do pay... Okay as you say, incredibly important roles, both in screening for uh, particular problems and initial treatments for those, as well as triage to other appropriate healthcare individuals. So for most people that have osteoarthritis, on average, they probably have two to three other illnesses or comorbidities, um, the most common of which are diseases like high blood pressure, diabetes, depression, heart disease. And they're often on medications for the management of those other problems, which can obviously cause issues around interactions or potential polypharmacy issues. So what role does the pharmacist have in providing advice about the quality use of medicines in that context? Uh, I, I think you've probably asked a question that defines one of the major uh, benefits of having pharmacists in our society because they are the drug experts. They do understand the drug interactions. They do understand the side effects. And I agree with you entirely. People with uh, osteoarthritis perhaps tend to be a little bit older rather than younger. They do have potentially other conditions for which they're taking medications. Now, it's a matter of where would we start on this, but just as an overview, whatever the patient has been prescribed for their osteoarthritis, it's the pharmacist's job, particularly with the initial prescription, to make sure that patient understands what the medicine does, uh, how best to take it, any problems to look out for. And we use the term quality use of medicines, but it's a good term because really a GP prescribes a medicine, the pharmacist dispenses it. But that's really just the start of the process. What we want is a quality outcome. 
from that medicine and we want it to do what it's meant to do, e.g. in in osteoarthritis, relieve pain, improve joint mobility, et cetera, et cetera. So it really is important that the pharmacist advises what can be expected and looks after the ongoing efficacy of, of that medicine as the patient comes back on a presumably monthly basis to maybe get the medicine. The other side of the coin is that drugs, unfortunately, can interact with each other at times. Now, many people listening to us, I'm sure, will be taking a number of medicines, and that's fine. There's no problem. But some drugs will interact with others, and some of the drugs used for the treatment of osteoarthritis can interact with blood pressure medicines. They can interact with perhaps what people are taking for their diabetes and other conditions. That's not to say they can't be used together, but what it does say is that uh, the advice of the pharmacist is really paramount in these situations because uh, rather than just use them willy-nilly under the professional advice of the pharmacist, we can avoid a whole lot of problems, hopefully uh, by wise counsel from the pharmacist. That's brilliant. Thanks, Peter. Now, um, for osteoarthritis itself, there are a whole range of different potential agents that could be used for the relief of pain, including obviously anti-inflammatories, topical and oral varieties, paracetamol, opiates, um, some of which have good evidence to support their efficacy, others, others less so. But for a person who comes in uh, who wants to consult with their pharmacist about what analgesic to use, what factors should they be engaging with their pharmacist about in helping them to make an informed choice about the specific agent to choose? Yeah, I think it's a really, really good question. We have two sides of the coin here, I guess, to use that expression again. We have uh, things like paracetamol, we have things like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, diclofenac, ibuprofen, naproxen, et cetera. And, and these are what are known as registered medicines. They've been through the system with the Department of Health and the Therapeutic Goods Administration, and they have evidence to show they work and we know what they do and we know what to look out for. Then we have on the other side, what we might call the natural or complementary medicines which I'll come back to because a lot of people do seek advice on complementary medicines and a lot of people do take them. And to be honest, they're not without their problems. And and I'd like to to come back to that point. But with uh, the paracetamol and with the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, uh, the pharmacist potentially can recommend these. The pharmacist will look to see at what other medicines the patient may be taking. Uh, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, as I said, can interact with some of the drugs that are used to treat blood pressure, used to treat cardiac conditions, and, and we just must be aware of those. We talk about dosage, and basically the, the paracetamol, I think, and the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, these are the over-the-counter drugs, the non-steroidals, of course, can be in creams and gels, and uh, the pharmacist might think that is worth trying for the patient. 
But it's just the safe use of these drugs, just looking for conditions where they may not be appropriate and just looking for other medicines that the patient might be taking that might lead the pharmacist to recommend one over the other. That's great. Thanks, Peter. Now, obviously, it sounds like a complex decision that probably integrates a whole host of factors, including efficacy and safety and affordability and obviously patient preference as well. Now, more recently than not, there's been some decisions made around the availability and access to codeine products over the counter in Australia. Um, and that was removed from being available over the counter and made prescription only uh, now back a few years ago. And the, the rationale for that was in response to the increasing opiate epidemic in the community and the number of overdoses and deaths and hospitalizations that were occurring in that context. What, what if any, impact has the removal of codeine from over-the-counter had on increasing other higher-order opiates and other medications? And what influence has it had on side effects and, and using other medications that may have another range of side effects, particularly the anti-inflammatory group of medications? It's a good question. It's a very complex question. I think I should say that I, I was opposed to the uh, rescheduling of the low-dose codeine-containing products. I think they did have a place. I think the vast, vast, vast majority of people were using them short-term and appropriately. Um, but that, that's an, it's another debate which we could have at another time, David. But it, it, it is what it is. They were made prescription only. What I think we saw, to take one point of your question, when patients could not get the low-dose codeine, paracetamol, well, they, they were always in combination. They were, they were in combination with generally paracetamol, or one of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, particularly ibuprofen. So when people took them, they got the benefit of the codeine plus the paracetamol or the codeine plus the ibuprofen. And there was evidence to show that they, that produced better analgesia than either paracetamol or ibuprofen alone. They needed to be used for short-term use because codeine can be dependent. And that, that's one of the reasons why it, the upscheduling occurred. What I think we've seen at a pharmacy level, and I'm sure um, a number of people listening to us would be aware of this, we have seen an increased use in uh, paracetamol. We have seen an increased use in the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And there are drugs, there are products on the market which actually contain both paracetamol and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs They're in the one tablet. And we have seen a, um, a significant increase in, in the use of these. Now, paracetamol and NSAIDs are good, are good drugs. There's absolutely no problem with them, provided they're used appropriately by the right people. Paracetamol, we must make sure we only take the correct dose because in larger doses and in overdose, it can cause problems for the liver. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, when used longer term, can cause ulcers, stomach ulcers, duodenal ulcers. They can make asthma worse in susceptible patients with asthma. They can reduce renal function. 
So I don't want to scare people off using these medications because they are appropriate and they are effective. But again, it's important to always talk to a healthcare professional, and I'm, in this instance, the pharmacist, if you are looking to take these longer term and if you are looking to take them with other medicines because the advice of the pharmacist can be very, very important in these situations. Thanks. Uh, another medication that's recently changed in terms of its scheduling is, or is paracetamol, or, it's, or at least it's about yeah. to, um, and particularly for Panadol Osteo. Can you just give me a little sense as to, I guess, the origin of why that decision is coming about and what impact you think that will likely have? Yeah, um, it happened on the 1st of June. So uh, 1st of June this year, it's a recent innovation, just to make sure everyone sort of has an overview of this. We have a scheduling system in this country for medicines, you know, the, the narcotic analgesics, uh, et cetera, uh, what are called generally Schedule 8, and, and they have a lot of restrictions on them. The normal prescription medicine you get from the doctor, the antibiotics, the antidepressants, uh, the oral contraceptive pill, etc. They're called Schedule 4 medicines. And then there are two schedules in pharmacy called Schedule 2 and Schedule 3. And then if you're not scheduled, you can buy things in the supermarket and often in smaller doses and in smaller pack sizes, such as paracetamol, such as ibuprofen. You can purchase that in the supermarket. Now, the, the Panadol osteos or the Duotrols, these are modified release paracetamol products. They have more paracetamol per tablet than the normal one. And and you take two tablets three times a day rather than four times a day. They were always in pharmacy in Schedule 2. As I said, on the 1st of June, they've become what's known as Schedule 3. Now, Schedule 3 is a medicine that you don't need a prescription for, but the pharmacist does need to be involved in the sale of that product and, and counselling associated with that the use of that product. And it can't be out where you can self-select it. So in the pharmacy, you can self-select the normal paracetamols, the ibuprofens, the diclofenax, et cetera, and Panadol Osteoduotrol was part of that. But because of the perceived inappropriate use by some people, I guess, of the paracetamol, uh, it was just thought, and I, and I think it's probably a very good move, that if people are going to take this long term, it is a professional product. It's targeted at the chronic pain, the chronic pain of things like osteoarthritis. I think it's quite appropriate that uh, the person purchasing that does have the ability to get the advice of the pharmacist and the pharmacist does ensure that it is the right product for that person. So people should not find any greater difficulty in getting it. They may just, um, and in fact, beneficially, I think, um, have a chat with the pharmacist when, when they purchase it. Let's take a quick break to hear conversations in the waiting room. What specific medications alleviate joint nerve pain? 
other than Lyrica and Panadol Osteo? And where can I find more information on nerve growth factor, which was briefly discussed during the podcast? Firstly, thank you very much for the question. It's a very important and topical area. I think it's really important to understand that joint nerve pain, which sometimes we also paraphrase as neuropathic pain, may be benefited by some agents which are co commercially available, but I wouldn't necessarily put Panadol Osteo on that list. Similarly, the group of medications broadly called the gabapentinoids, of which Lyrica or pregabalin is part of, hasn't been demonstrated to be efficacious for osteoarthritis-related pain at this point in time. So we would, again, not advocate for that. One agent that potentially could be useful in this context is duloxetine, uh, which has been shown to be efficacious in osteoarthritis. Uh, and so that might be worth considering. With regards to nerve growth factor, I am not necessarily aware of any readily available resources that are lay friendly. But if you look up nerve growth factor and particularly look up antibodies to that, you'll notice that there are a number of products that are in development from companies, including Pfizer and Lilly, that are in late stage commercial development as treatments for pain. Thank you very much for the question. I hope it was somewhat helpful and I look forward to more questions moving forward. If you have any questions, you can email them to hello at jointaction.info and we'll try and feature them on our next episode. And now back to this episode of Joint Action. For many pharmacies, they stock both the analgesic medications that we've been talking about. So they, they include obviously the anti-inflammatories, the opiates, the uh, paracetamol. But in addition to the analgesic medications, they also stock supplements or complementary medicines. When a pharmacist is providing advice to a prospective person who has joint pain, how do they differentiate between the use of those broad groups of products and providing the recommendations to that person? Yeah, uh, well, it's a very interesting question. And, and to be honest, I think different pharmacists would do different things. But without doubt, there are an enormous array of either complementary, natural products out there. And people listening to us would be well aware of that. And they're not just targeted or, or, or claimed to be beneficial for osteoarthritis. They're, they're out there and they're claimed to do many things. Now, it's interesting with the complementary medicines because they do not have to undergo the rigorous process of evaluation that the other medicines have to do, as I said, like your antidepressants, antibiotics, oral contraceptives, antidepressants. These go through an unbelievably rigorous process before they're allowed to be marketed. Complementary medicines don't have to go through that rigorous process. Often, the claims for their efficacy or, or their effectiveness are based on traditional use, historical use. 
they again, from a safety perspective, a lot of it is historical. And we've been using this for, for centuries, therefore it should be good. So it, they're not as rigorous. And to be honest, I think a, a lot of them, maybe even the majority, probably don't have the efficacy that they're claimed to have. But others would debate that with me. When it comes to things for osteoarthritis, it's interesting, and people have said to me many, many times, Pete, look, I'm meant to be going on this paracetamol or this NSAID, you know, long term. Haven't you got anything, anything for me that's natural? You know, do, do we have a, a natural product? I'd rather take that. Because there's a perception in the community that if it's a natural product, it will be safe, it will be effective, and it won't do you any harm. Now, that's just not true. There's really no difference between a natural product and a normal medicine. They're both chemicals. So they can both cause uh, drug interactions. They can both cause adverse events. And one of the roles of the pharmacist is to ensure that if someone is taking a complementary medicine, it is appropriate for them. And to try and convince people that just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good. I mean, I, I, I could say now that arsenic is natural. Cyanide is natural. Plutonium is natural. These are some of the most toxic poisons on the planet. So it's silly to say if it's natural, it must be safe. They're also referred to as being non-chemical. You often hear, oh, you know, non-chemical and safe natural product. Again, uh, everything's made of chemicals. So the bottom line is, just moving away from the efficacy at this point, if someone is taking a complementary medicine, let me rephrase that. If someone chooses to take or wishes to take a complementary medicine, doesn't really matter whether it's for osteoarthritis or not, that complementary medicine potentially can interact with other medicines that you are taking. For argument's sake, fish oil can cause an increase in bleeding if you're taking a blood thinner. A number of other things can interact with that, including things that are perhaps used for osteoarthritis. My advice to anyone, if they do wish to take a complementary medicine, please talk to your pharmacist or GP before doing so. A, they'll be able to advise you whether they believe it will be effective for you. And B, they will certainly be able to advise you whether it's appropriate for you to take it uh, relative to the other medicines that you might be taking. So my, when I ask for complementary medicines, I say, look, there's not a lot of evidence to support the use of this. And again, to be fair to the, the medicine or the complementary medicine, often no one's done the tests. So to say there's no evidence that this works is a statement of fact, but it's perhaps not fair because no one's ever done the test to see if it does work. Where there have been tests to show that it doesn't work, I think we should be open and, and say that. And, and using osteoarthritis as an example, one of the things that I've done in the past 
someone will say, Pete, oh, you know, I, I thought I might take this fish oil or I thought I might take the avocado soybean or I might take turmeric or I might take glucosamine for my osteoarthritis. What do you think? And we have a discussion. But then I say, okay, well, let's write down. And I'd advise people to do this if they're thinking of taking complementary medicine. Write down your symptoms. That when, when do you get the pain? Is, it the, is the joint stiff in the morning? What are the problems with mobility, etc.? cetera? And, and we write them down together. And then we say, okay, let's take the product for a prescribed time. Now with glucosamine, you need to take it for three months or so. Others perhaps a little short term, but maybe you give it three months. And then we, we revisit it. And I say, um, well, here's the list of things of what was the problems were before. And I admit osteoarthritic pain and things uh, and symptoms can wax and wane a little bit, but it's a good thing. So in three months time, we have orgasm. And if they've still got the pain, they've still got the stiffness or whatever, well, we can say, well, it's probably no good. Don't take it. If they say, look, I'm feeling so much better, my joints so more mobile, etc., then continue to take it. So I think the patient can be the, their own clinical trial in this. But uh, that's an overview, David. They're there. They're not going to go away. People are going to want to take them. I think the pharmacist's role is to try and advise that where there is evidence, let's go with it. Where there isn't, really, it's up to you. But let's try and monitor it. Thoughtful advice, and uh, hopefully the listeners will benefit greatly from that as well. Now, in the interest of sparking a little bit of debate and heat for today... Doesn't sound like you, Dan. No, it's definitely not like like me. But obviously, for many pharmacists, they own their own business, um, and they might have expensive supplements, complementary medicines, or, or medications on the shelf. But in addition, they're providing a role where they're providing sagely advice such as yourself. Uh, that hopefully is evidence-based. Can you just tell me a little bit about that tension for the person who both owns the business with expensive products that they want to sell and the balance that they're trying to provide with regards providing evidence-based care? Yeah, I would hope that the evidence-based care would, would be the prime factor. Not all these products are that expensive, although they can be. For argument's sake, I think people taking vitamins without a known vitamin deficiency are wasting their money. You know, they're getting all the vitamins they need and I try to advise people not to take. Again, I mean, homeopathy. I don't think any pharmacy should have homeopathy product there. You often hear the argument, oh, but but the patients want them. And and a lot of patients will self-select these, David. They can do it with the Schedule II medicines. They can do it outside the pharmacy in the health food stores, et cetera. And as I say, uh, people do believe in these products. They believe that they're natural. Therefore, they will be safe. They believe they're non-chemical. Therefore, they won't hurt them and they will do them good. So often, the advice is not sought from to the you know, people don't ask for advice from the pharmacist and even when the pharmacist gives the advice the person can respectfully say look i don't think that i think it's good for me i mean there's so many people taking one or two fish oil capsules a day 
there's no evidence that that's going to do them any good. In fact, the evidence is that it won't help their cardiovascular disease. It won't help their joints at one capsule a day. But people continue to take it. So I think there probably are pharmacists out there who have products there that perhaps are not as appropriate as they might be. But equally, they wouldn't have them there if people didn't buy them. And often they are self-selected. So it is a complex problem and people do seek these out. I mean, over 50% of the population every week take a complementary medicine. They're just there and I suspect they're going to continue to be there. Thanks. And uh, again, we could probably wax philosophical on that for, for hours to come. But in the interest of preserving our listeners' ears, we may just move on. Are there any patient-friendly resources that you might like to share that would shed further light on that topic? Yeah, um, well, not on osteoarthritis in general. I don't know whether the listeners, listeners are aware, but uh, supported by the Department of Health at no cost to the patient. If someone is on five or more medicines, and, and a lot of people are, they can get what are known as a meds check from the pharmacist, where the pharmacist will sit down with them and go through their medicines to make sure that they're appropriate, no side effects, uh, whatever. And that's a very useful thing. It doesn't take very long, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And I always encourage people to, to take that uh, offer up if they are on five or more medicines, particularly if they've been on them for a while, because we do need to review. I, I just don't think one should just be continue to take a medicine forever. Uh, it should be reviewed and it should be assessed that it's doing what it's meant to do. And through the GP, the GP can request uh, an accredited pharmacist to do what's called a home medication review, which is probably at least an hour where uh, an accredited pharmacist will talk to the patient about all their medicines. They will talk about the complementary medicines they might be taking, the supplements they might be taking, explain to them what each medicine is and what it's doing if they're not aware. Some elderly patients get confused with all the generic medicines that are around where the, where the trade name changes. And again, it's a very useful tool at no cost to the patient to have what's known as a home medication review. So that's a generalised thing, David. It's not specific for osteoarthritis, but I think it's an important thing that if appropriate for some people, it's very beneficial. Um, I think from an um, osteoarthritic point of view, I think the pharmacist is part of the healthcare team. And the, the pharmacist can always recommend a good physio. They can recommend to organisations like the Arthritis Foundation. The pharmacist is quite good at uh, recommending uh, diets, uh, helping people reduce weight, which will help their, uh, their, their um, osteoarthritis. They're quite good at, at talking about exercise programs and, and they know where the local health self-help groups are or, or the exercise groups. So I think the pharmacist is a source of information for all these things, some more so than others, because 
Some wouldn't say I'm an absolute expert on osteoarthritis, but overall, I think they are a frontline healthcare professional. I think it's worth chatting to the pharmacist about any problem or any advice you want. And again, we've, we've gone through what they do from a medication point of view. It's their job to ensure the quality use of medicines, no interactions, no adverse events. And I would encourage people to think about those meds checks and home medication reviews, because at the end of the day, we want people to take medicines. We want them to get the best therapeutic value out of them. And we want to reduce, hopefully, write down any side effects or drug interactions. Very thoughtful advice and hopefully very helpful for the people listening. Now, in the interest of moving on, I'm just going to ask you some more general questions about you and your theories of life. But Peter, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? Well, without being specific, I mean, I, I would say to the government, what is more important than the health of the community? If, if governments have a role, it's to maintain the health and the mental health and the physical health of the community that they serve. So in my opinion, you cannot put enough money into health. I mean, without being political, I'm not too sure we would want to spend $50 billion on submarines and rebuilding football stadiums, etc. Or stadia when we don't we still have deficiencies in the healthcare system i think i could be sh shot down by economists and other good people but my philosophy is while mrs smith in some country town cannot get the proper treatment for maybe her breast cancer and we've got a government that says look at all the surplus money we've got i just don't think that's right I think that surplus money should be going and treating Mrs. Uh, Smith for her breast cancer. So I, I would say we need to put what we need to do to maintain the health of everyone in the community. Yeah, the inequity in our society is uh, pervasive and appears to only yeah. be getting worse. And I think we, we share a similar philosophy in that regard, comrade. Now, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, <laughs> What would it be and why? What would it be and why? Well, it would have to relate to my caring, sharing, social consciousness, David, wouldn't it? And I, actually, I've said this before because the medical students asked me to write in their yearbooks and, and other people asked me to uh, wax lyrical on uh, caring and sharing and social consciousness and justice, etc. But I, I actually have one thing that I often go, well, there's two that I go back to, and I hope I'm not going to uh, sort of insult anyone here, but one of, one of the things that I find a problem in life uh, are people who are economic rationalists. And I think we should try and limit their influence. In my, because in my world, economic rationalists are individuals who cost everything and value nothing. And they always put profit before people. And you've only got to look at the Aged Care Royal Commission, the Banking Royal Commission to see um, many, many examples of that. So I would have a little bit about let's try and limit the, the economic rationalist theories. But I guess I would say, and, and I, do, I often say this in, in these things, 
that I would, I'd have a billboard and I would remind people that life is not a dress rehearsal. You only get one go at it. So I would encourage people to be the best person they can be, look after those that are less fortunate and vulnerable, give back to the world more than you take, and try to make the world a better place for you having been on it. So I guess that, that summarises my philosophy on these things. Peter, it's been great to have a chance to chat to you about this and uh, look forward to waxing on philosophical, <laughs> philosophical topics um, moving forward and spending some more time together. But thank you very much for your time today and the insights and wisdom you've provided. Oh, it's a pleasure, David. It's always great to chat and I look forward to having a beer with you or two. Two beers with you soon. Just a couple, all in moderation. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So thanks to the listeners out there. That's all for this episode of Joint Action. Between now and next time, please do take care of yourself. Stay strong and stay active. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.